Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fahodier, today's date is August 30th. 6261. This I have been told. I am here with brothers Amos and Makaru. This is the African Liberation Media. Had we collectively lived in a different time, we would be accused of drapetomania. <laughs> <laughs> and our heads would be examined by racist doctors. The way Nat Turner was examined after his execution. We turn our attention to the fallout of the Afghanistan situation. Uh, yeah, to me, men and ladies and gentlemen out there, my brothers on Two Notch Road, Billy Joe Davis, I hope you're listening. It takes some nerve and a sense of entitlement to believe that American pain only matters. You know, reviewing the story of the great Patrice Lumumba, brother who was duly elected prime minister in the Congo, his body was cut to pieces and dissolved in sulfuric acid. You know, empire is a, a messy business. We'll talk about the details a little later. But it is believed that $35 trillion went unaccounted for had an eighth grader crunch these numbers. And we discovered that with that money, $35 trillion, you could end world hunger hunger for 700 years. It's also believed that, and this might be a conservative estimate, that 30,000 servicemen committed suicide over the past 20 years. Not only has the psychopathic Neander thugs, oligarchs, to use some of uh, Mac, Brother Macaroo's categorizations of what uh, we are beset by, not only have they waged war on people in the Congo, in Syria, Iraq, and Afghanistan, you name it, 800 ba military bases around the world, they have also raised war against the American people you know, suffice it to say what we're dealing with in the case of Afghanistan is the biggest money laundering heist, one of the latest money laundering heists um, in recent years. The goal was never to subdue Afghanistan. You know, suffice it to say that's not possible. It seems based on the reading of history, 18th century, the Persian Empire met its demise the 19th century, when it was said that the British Empire, the sun never shone uh, on the British Empire, or the sun shone everywhere on the British Empire. And of course, the 20th century, the Russians uh, suffered a similar fate. And of course, the United States uh, here most recently. Uh, empires during their decline 
make foolish decisions, during the rise, the decision-making is more judicious. During the decline of any empire, it seems that decision-making is less judicious in an attempt to regain what is perceived to be a prior glory. This is the African Liberation Media. Uh, more on that later. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it. Yeah, I mean, we could really dedicate the whole show to talking about uh, Afghanistan, but and you know, we we, we will come back because there, there there's some things that um that have just taken place recently that uh, that do need to be discussed. You know, from the perspective of the liberation and empowerment of African people. But since this is our last uh, program uh, during Black August. There were a couple of things that uh, we wanted to mention. Uh, first of all, on August the 30th, 1800, Gabriel Prosser and his brothers, Martin and Solomon, uh, developed along with the several other uh, enslaved Africans in the uh, area of uh, Enrico County, uh, Virginia, uh, not far from Richmond, had a very, very elaborate plot uh, inspired uh, by the activities of uh, our brothers and sisters on the island of Aiti. And, uh, you know, this plot, along with Denmark Visa's plot, th these, were, these were the two most uh, uh, highly elaborate plots that, uh, that anyone had developed. Um, and just like Visa, uh, two race traders ran to their... Uh, enslavers and told them about the plot on the on uh, the day before or, or the day of and that allowed the uh, governor soon to be president of virginia uh governor of virginia soon to be president james monroe to call out the militia to uh to put down the uh the rebellion and the uh they still may have been able to achieve quite a bit of success because the the rebellion was so uh, meticulously planned that uh, there were a number of enslaved Africans on numerous plantations who were willing and ready to join. Uh, you know, as uh, you know, as when the Prosser brothers actually you know launched uh, you know the, the 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 raids on the enslavers. But as fate would have it, and then, <laughs> you know, this is where you really get, can get messed up spiritually. <laughs> the area was hit with a tropical storm. Uh, this, this is an estimate because, because of the amount of rainfall that fell, fording a lot of the rivers that they had to cross, you know, became virtually impossible. And with the militia out, uh, and and the, and the rainstorm thwarting efforts to uh, to link up, you know the uh, the rebellion, you know, was squashed. Uh, several people, about thirty five, I think, were arrested and killed. But amazingly, uh, Gabriel Prosser himself managed to escape and boarded a ship. Uh, in Richmond that was bound 
uh, for Norfolk and his plan uh, obviously was to uh, once he got to Norfolk to try to get on a ship to get to Haiti. Um, the captain of the ship actually knew who he was, this white man by the name of Richardson Taylor. And uh, he he willingly transported him. A race trader on the ship recognized him. And when they docked in uh, Norfolk, reported uh, Gabriel to the authorities, and then he was captured and, you know, uh, executed uh, in October. So, I mean, once again, you know, the, we, we see here, we see with, with all of these stories, you know, the more than uh, 250 uh, rebellions recorded, no telling how many were not recorded. What we see among our people was a, a consciousness to be free. And as I've always said, a lot of our brothers and sisters at, th at that time either knew directly themselves what it was like to be free, something that we have never known. Mm -hmm. We've been given certain rights, but we've never been restored to our original uh position of free proud and productive people but a but a lot of a lot of these brothers and sisters you know like uh the prosser brothers you know denmark vesey gullah jack pritchett uh harriet tubman if they didn't nat turner if they didn't know directly themselves then they knew from a a, a mother or a grandmother or someone you know had instilled this this knowledge of you know, you you are not a slave. You are a person who has been put in captivity. You are enslaved. That might not be, you know, the exact words that they use, but that's the that's the uh, the sense, the orientation that they were uh, that uh, our brothers and sisters were being given. And and as 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 long as is that uh, desire, as long as that knowledge of what of what it meant to be free you know people having lived as you know free proud and productive people unfortunately scattered particularly along the coast of uh western central africa in uh you know small uh, isolated ethnic groups uh rather than uh rather than large empires uh it has been stated for example that had that had the that had the europeans tried to invade africa during the height of the Mali empire, they would have been thwarted. Okay. Because even though they may have had weapons, you can fight a guerrilla warfare against somebody that has to fire one shot and reload his musket. When you got trees, you got, you got the Savannah grassland, you have uh, expert marksmen with, with bows and arrows. You can fight a guerrilla war. And, um, so, you know, as fate would have it, the 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 uh, enslavement process began as the Mali Empire was, you know, in the process of collapsing and the Songhai Empire was rising in its place. But the Songhai Empire got bogged down in a war with Morocco and they were assisted by Moors who had been kicked out of Spain plus uh, the Queen of England, who provided the uh, Moroccans with cannons. 
But nevertheless, uh, Song Hei was still able to fight them for about 60 years before they were defeated. So, you know, our people knew what it meant to, to be free, proud and productive. And, you know, it was that it was that which which drove them to risk everything to uh, return themselves and re to return each other, to return our people to our proper place, you know, on this planet. So I just wanted to uh, mention that. You know, since this is, um, you know, our last uh, broadcast during Black August, uh, you know, we, we hold up uh, and say, long live the spirit of Gabriel, Solomon, Martin Prosser, and their band of revolutionaries uh, in Virginia in 1800. Now, it, it goes without saying that, 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 that even though Prosser's uh, rebellion was thwarted, he, he certainly inspired other people in Virginia, like Bob Farabee in 1813. And Bob Farabee uh, is said to have inspired uh, Nat Turner in 1831. So, you know, this is this is what this is what we're talking about in terms of in terms of how our people, you know, can can move towards liberation and empowerment. You know, if we are willing to attempt to return ourselves to our proper place rather than just, you know, being uh, comfortable, you know, being granted some rights today. They're taking away tomorrow, <laughs> fight for them again. They're taking away again, et cetera, et cetera. I see. The other thing I wanted to mention there is a brother that certainly operated, uh, operates, 84-year-old, in the spirit of the Prosser brothers, Elder Sundiata Akoli, a prisoner of war. And the reason why I call him a prisoner of war is because the United States government, led by the institutionalized white supremacist J. Edgar Hoover, declared war on the black liberation movement. So these brothers who are in prison uh, today, uh, like you know Russell Maroon Schultz and Sundiata Akoli and others, who were in exile like um, Asada Shakur, they were they were engaged in a war, okay? And so, you know, in fact, all of us who were in the Black Liberation Movement were affected by this war one way or another. Uh, you know, if we weren't uh, jailed or, or, or beaten or shot or killed, <laughs> you know, we, we, we were still engaged in a war, you know, these, because these people had declared war on us. Very, very interesting. Uh, because a lot of times uh, our brothers and sisters in law enforcement, you know, you know, catch a lot of H.E. double hockey sticks from the community for simply being in law enforcement. And, and, and as you know, as we saw with uh, what was the, the brother that was stomping the sister. Oh, I can't I can't remember where he was. I can't remember if he was in Texas or Atlanta. He was in Atlanta just the other, you know, last week or week before last. Uh, a coalition of black law enforcement organizations called for the release of Elder Sundiata Akoli, a prisoner of the U.S. government war on the black liberation movement. Uh, so this came from the Charles Hamilton Houston Institute for Race and Justice. I think it's at Harvard. Charles Hamilton Houston, of course, was a, a brilliant attorney, trained, uh, for example, Thurgood Marshall. Uh, on August 23rd, 2021, this is what the, the Houston Institute is saying. We filed an amicus brief in the New Jersey Supreme Court on behalf of the National Association of Blacks and Criminal Justice, 
the Black Police Experience, Blacks in Law Enforcement, and the Grand Council of Guardians, Inc., to support the release on parole of Suniata Akoli, a former Black Panther and a member of the Black Liberation Army. This is why I call this brother someone who was walking in the spirit of the Prosser brothers, Denmark Veasley, Gullah Jack Pritchard, David Walker, Harriet Tubman, Nat Turner, and others. Suniata Akoli is an 84-year-old brother born in 1937 in Texas during the era of uh, Jim Crow. Mr. Akoli has been incarcerated for nearly five decades for his role in the murder of state trooper Werner, Werner Forster in 1973 on the New Jersey Turnpike after a traffic stop for a broken taillight. Mr. Akoli has spent more than half of his life in prison cells the size of a parking space, including nearly 20 years as a senior citizen. Though first eligible for parole almost 30 years ago and despite a significant record, of personal development and rehabilitation during his incarceration, including no disciplinary infractions for at least the last 25 years. Mr. Coley has been repeatedly denied parole and subject to lengthy future eligibility terms at each subsequent hearing. We argue that uh, at his most recent hearing, the parole board abuses discretion by drifting into considerations of punishment beyond its statutory authority. Punishment for punishment's, punishment's sake does not foster community safety is an, 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 an affront to racial justice and undermines the purpose and societal benefits of parole police. So it's very interesting that, you know, this group of blacks in law enforcement are fighting for the release of this brother uh, who was accused of, uh, you know, uh, killing a police officer. Actually, it was a state trooper, but what there was actually a shootout in which Sundiata in which uh, Asada Shakur was shot and uh, Zaid Shakur was killed. And so there's, there's no evidence uh, that, you know, Sundiata, uh, who I believe was the driver of the car, uh, you know, obviously he was in the war and certainly uh, was most capable of defending, of defending himself. But, you know, this, this, you know, the, the message here that the government is sending, and uh, I believe he's in a, uh, was they, they, they say file with New Jersey Supreme Court, so I guess it's a state case. Um, they they want to send a message. No matter what you do, Sirhan Sirhan, who may or may not have killed Robert Kennedy, uh, Cyril Weck says Kennedy was shot from behind uh behind uh in the you know the right ear from from a distance of just a few inches whereas sir and sirhan was about three feet in front of him so but anyway this man is accused of killing uh presidential candidate robert f kennedy in 1968 he has been granted parole he has been granted parole mm -hmm. but these uh brothers like matula shakur and russell maroon schultz uh and uh, ed poindexter and and many many others veronzo bowers you know they just say look we're gonna make an example out of you as a matter of fact they even even released uh at least uh, mario cuomo the disgraced governor of new york uh pardoned several uh prisoners including a member of the weather underground who was actually working with the black liberation army uh, who were uh, engaged in a, a, a series of a uh, Robin Hood type of activities. 
And uh, one of these activities, the robbery of a, of, of a Brinks truck, resulted in the, the killing of, uh, of some police officers. David Gilbert uh, was, a, was a white revolutionary. Uh, he could have pled guilty like his uh, fiance Kathy Bodine did, but he chose not to. He chose to fight. Uh, Mario Cuomo has decided to grant him parole, uh, commuter sentence. He still has to go before the parole board, I guess, to be released. But uh, but once again, you know, here here you have a white revolutionary, you know, uh, actually didn't fire any shots, but was accused of. Uh, just like a Sunniata Coley of killing uh, two police officers doing this Brinks robbery uh, that was supposedly uh, organized by Matula Shakur, uh, you know, who is uh, suffering from bone cancer and uh, certainly should be uh, entitled to uh, re some kind of a humanitarian release if uh, human beings were running the system. And <laughs> they obviously are not. Uh, the same with Russell Maroon Schultz. Uh, who's has stage four cancer that started in his prostate gland and has now uh, infected his bones. So this is what these brothers are up against, 84 years old. I mean, obviously poses no threat, but he is symbolically important to us because, you know, as the song says, you know, they, they, laid, they laid their lives on the line when they dared to seize the time. And so, uh, you know, he, he's very inspiring to a lot of us and uh, certainly would be significant if uh, if uh, somehow he was granted a release. Yeah, just yeah. a quick, 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 quick addendum. It appears as if the system has no problem with criminals, but revolutionaries, the system fears. Uh, it is incumbent upon the system to keep us intimidated. Uh, the goal of the police is to contain and to intimidate, you know, thus the heinousness in terms of our uh, relationship with the police, which has always been a psychopathic relationship. Um, Dr. Ture uh, made a very important observation years ago. He talked about in the 1950s um, how a brother would cut you from ear to ear if you stepped on his alligator shoes. Hmm. And within 10 years, you had brothers and sisters fighting it, fighting and shooting back at the police. You know, thus, uh, you know, in his analysis, the system does not uh, make the same mistakes, and thus it became incumbent upon them to destabilize the community, pumping the drugs, pumping the drugs, destabilize the community so that even African American leadership or black leadership or misleadership would uh, summon the police to come back into the community. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's his analysis of um, of how things uh, uh, went awry in terms of one of the elements. Uh, of course, we've discussed the deindustrialization and um, other factors uh, that have waged war against the black family, a class war that it adversely affects uh, African-American uh, people resulting in, of course, the uh, the familial breakup. Uh, interesting observation. Um, in terms of uh, the system's ongoing willingness and ability to counteract 
or counter any type of, uh, you know, revolutionary activity. Of course, drugs playing a significant part in uh, uh, destroying uh, whatever nascent conversations, mobilizations, organizational thrusts that we might develop. Uh, organization, as we have been told by many, it, uh, it, it's the weapon of the oppressed. Yeah, I read that brother Coley was granted parole. I don't know if it was 2014 or 2016, but they found a technicality. Uh, this, the New Jersey Supreme Court Justice Jane Levici found a technicality stating that he did not attend the final interview <laughs> where the family would be able to uh, ask questions. And this is what they use to block his release, uh, to block his parole. And uh, now, you know, they're going back to the New, the, uh, New Jersey Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Levicia's last day is tomorrow. She retires tomorrow. Uh, she's being replaced by another woman who is a small hat. Um, of course, we know you know New Jersey has a lot of hats, and they have a lot of influence over politics there. Um, you know, it was Chris Christie who I can't remember what year it was, but I remember he he uh, he called out Obama for reestablishing relations with with Cuba because of they're still harboring what he called a fugitive in Assad Shakur. So this is something that is personal for, for them. They, they, they definitely want to make an example out of our brother. And if possible, they want to try to capture Asada Shakur. They've been trying to, they've been increasing, uh, raising her up on the FBI terrorist list for years. And that's also one of the primary reasons why they refuse to establish, reestablish relations with Cuba or lift those sanctions is uh, because of that. So, I mean, you have a situation where with H. Red Brown, where you have a guy who who confessed on the stand that he was the one who actually shot mm -hmm. the police officer. Right. But yet, you know, his brother can't let, let alone get out of prison, but even be interviewed out of the fear of his influence and you just spoke about it a few moments ago when you said you know that these brothers were inspired by Gabriel Prosser in Virginia we're inspired by Gabriel Prosser and Nat Turner and others today we're, we're inspired by ancestors from 2000 years ago so Europeans have a very good understanding and know that people like H. Rap Brown still inspire us and they know how powerful his mind in is how, and, and how powerful his words are mm -hmm. and and um they can't afford to allow that mentality of the brothers and sisters who are part of the struggle during those times to be re-released so you know this is why you see they, they don't allow anybody that that was involved with the black liberation army and and that the black panther party who was involved in what they call a, 
the execution of a police officer, what have you, out of prison. Hmm. It's an eternal, it's symbolic, like you said, I think Jack said, it's symbolic. It's definitely a symbolic gesture for them. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Um, and I know that uh, Huey Percy Newton has been the subject of much discussion. Uh, you know, the question does uh, reoccur. The question being, what happened to Huey P. Newton? Uh, Dr. Ture is firmly convinced that the police killed Huey Newton, and his uh, lawyer, Charles Gary, insists that Huey Newton was systemically destroyed. You know, what happened to Huey Newton at um, Vacaville State Prison? Uh, we will never know. What we do know on the surface is that the Vacaville State Prison, they are responsible for conducting uh, psychiatric tests. Uh, the attack in Vacaville is psychiatric, uh, sensory deprivation. One of the techniques, extreme light, extreme darkness, extreme noise, extreme uh, silence subjected to uh, cold versus heat. Uh, Florence, Colorado, one of the more notorious maximum security centers, you know, violations of all kinds of human rights, it's, it's really irrelevant. Um, I mean, you don't come out. You If you do come out, you come out in a fetus position. Hmm. You know, once you're subjected to this type of torture, you can never really uh, recover. So this is what the system has in mind uh, for the rebel uh, who attempts to make fundamental change. Um, and we talked about George Jackson last week. Um, you know, the system is, um, you know, in a real sense, a reflection domestically of what happens in terms of... Um, the foreign policy that's conducted. In fact, much of the weaponry, okay, that is utilized in these uh, foreign arenas uh, becomes similar to what uh, occurs here domestically. Uh, a, 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 uh, 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 an attack in Fallujah becomes similar to an attack in uh, Ferguson, uh, uh, Missouri. Hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the, the relationship is, is similar. There's a similar relationship in terms of what goes on in the foreign arena and in terms of how it mirrors what happens in many of the, uh, uh, uh the, uh, internal colonies hmm. is the term that brother Omar Wale used. Yeah. yeah this the, uh, brother, go ahead, brother. Go ahead. I mean, you have you have brothers who in the United States of America were executed based off of the potential of what the FBI believed they can do even before they had a chance to do it. We talked about Dina Kamathi last week. He was executed based off of what he did. Mm. These cracks were so afraid of our brothers and sisters over here that they decided to execute these brothers before they even had the opportunity to uh, do what Dion Kamathi did uh, in, in most cases. So the fear is definitely there 
and 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 that's why you know they they, they don't want to let anybody out of prison because it serves as a symbol it serves as a symbol of we defeated you and that's why the symbol of Asada Shakur being free is so strong because it shows a level of defeat to the white supremacists and white power structure where they, it's a battle that they lost and they have not been able to win that battle or regain um, control over that battle. So they, they, I could easily see why they would, you know, utilize our brother as, as, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, collateral in this situation. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, they tried H. Uh, Rap Brown, Imam Jamil El Amin. They tried to kill him in Cambridge, Maryland in 1967. He was there with uh, the uh, esteemed ancestor who just transitioned, Gloria Richardson, uh, carrying on the, uh, the, the, the struggle in, in, in that city. And uh, he was shot, you know, uh, by uh, police officers. No one obviously was ever charged or anything. Um, when uh, he, he was, and it, he was, he was shot. Then he was charged with inciting the riot. <laughs> okay. Uh, when he was uh, scheduled to go on trial in Maryland, uh, they bombed the car that they thought he was in. He had ridden over there in the car with, uh, Ralph, uh, brother Ralph Featherstone, a, a, a courageous brother. Uh, uh, you know, I, I uh, was educated by a lot of people who were in the uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And uh, Cleve Sellers was telling me a story. Uh, Cleve was uh, at, the, at, at that particular moment was working in the SNCC headquarters in Atlanta. And uh, he was talking to a uh, Ralph Featherstone, who was a, a SNCC field secretary in the Mississippi Delta, uh, which I'm solely afraid is going is, is going to be uh, gentrified when all these white people start fleeing from the far from the American Far West, which is drying up. The Colorado River, Lake Mead, the Hoover Dam is at all time low, low, low levels. I mean, they're they going to start bailing out of the West and the South is the only place they can go. But obviously they <laughs> They're not going to want to go to the coast. Uh, Gulf of Mexico is so warm. It is producing tremendous hurricanes, 150 mile per hour wind. I mean, but anyway, let me, let me stay on track. So Cleve was talking to uh, uh, Feather, as they called him, Ralph Featherstone. And uh, uh, I don't remember exactly which city in the Delta he was working in. But uh, Cleve said, what's going on? And he, and he said, uh, uh, the Ku Klux Klan, the Night Riders are riding by shooting in the headquarters. And uh, so Cleve asked Ralph, say, uh, what are you doing? He said, we're shooting back. Mm -hmm. We are shooting back. And of course, uh, the uh, professor down at uh, was it, Georgia State, Akinyele Omoja, wrote a book called We Will Shoot Back. Okay, you know, the Deacons for Defense who had a perfect record of protecting civil rights workers, you know, whenever they were on the scene, these were military veterans that had fought the, the Nazis in Europe, you know, had, had, had fought, you know, in the Pacific 
uh, had fought, you know, in Korea. And so uh, these brothers didn't play. So, you know, you, you, you that's, that's the kind of mentality we had. That's, mm -hmm. That is plain and simply the kind of mentality. Because, you know, anybody that knows anything about the rural South knows that uh, that, that, that black people, and, and this still may be true today, always had more guns than particularly guns that could do some damage than uh, black people, you know, in, you know, Chicago, Philadelphia, D.C., Detroit, who, whoever, who, you know, at the time was just basically operating with 22s, 32s, maybe a 38. Now they got automatic weapons, and you might say, well, how did that happen? Well, we know how it happened. But, uh, you know, so uh, Featherstone was shooting back. So Ralph, uh, uh, Ralph Featherstone and a brother named William uh, Shea Payne were, were, were driving the car that the uh, that our enemies thought uh, Jamil El Amin was in, and the car exploded. I mean, what was left of the car? You're talking about a car bomb? It was incredible. It was incredible. And... Uh, and I mean, but, you know, this was just a common occurrence. I, I, I'll never forget when, I, you know, I went to uh, as a as a representative of Malcolm X Liberation University. Uh, I was chosen to speak at the uh, Second Congress of African Peoples in 1972 in San Diego. And, uh, you know, we had a pretty strong organization of, you know, conscious people here in, in, in North Carolina. So. Uh, you know, we were at the uh, I it, San Diego State, some college out there where we were having a conference. And uh, I see Ben Chavis, the Reverend Ben Chavis, coming up with his hand, had a big bandage around, around his hand. I said, Ben, what happened? He said, they tried to kill me. He was working for the Commission for Racial Justice. Now, this is not a radical organization. This ain't the Black Liberation Army, the Black Panther Party or nothing. But they consider Ben to be a threat. He parked his car. Ben told me this is exactly what he, he said. He parked his car, went in the office. He said he wasn't in the office for no more than five or ten minutes. He came out the out, out of the office, cranked his car up, pulled up to a red light. By the grace of God, he smelled something, opened the door and dove out. And as he, as he dove out, his car exploded in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina in 1972. And this is a brother not in the Black Liberation Army, not in the Black Panther Party, but, you know, Ben had been, you know, he was one of the founders of the chapter that we had here in, uh, in 1968 when he was a student at, uh, at UNC Charlotte. But, uh, you know, this is, this, is what, this is what we dealt with. You know, this, this, this is what we dealt with on a, you know, I was in uh, uh, working with Baba Mikasa at the Pan-African Work Center. In a, in a, what was then called the Summerhill Ghetto. I'm, I'm sure it's probably gentrified now. It was right down the street from the old Atlanta Fulton County Stadium where Henry Aaron hit many home runs. And I was in the office late one night listening to, to uh, old SNCC tapes. And the police just kept riding by. I said, man, I, my, my intuition told me they're getting ready to shoot into this office. So I bailed out the back door and cut through the woods. And uh, I thought that I was, uh, you know, okay i'm out lo and behold what happens they pull up behind me and i had to start taking all kind of evasive action running through uh, apartments you know houses and whatnot i mean you know 
it was this is what we had to deal with. This is what we had to this is what we had to deal with. And you know, now we got a situation where <laughs> the shooting, most of the shooting is taking place is being done by us on us. Mm-hmm. But as Gullah Jack said, I mean, that was the plan. That was you you had to do something. As as uh, you said, Brother Almost, Fred Hampton was killed based on his potential. Uh-huh. You know, Fred Hampton hadn't done anything other than what? Gave some speeches, tried to organize a rainbow coalition. Powerful brother. They thought he had the potential to perhaps, because he had a good relationship with Jeff Ford, what if we turn the Blackstone Rangers into a Black Panther Party or a Black Liberation Army? Uh-huh. Gangster disciples. What happens then? So this brother has to be cowards. Absolute cowards. You know, and then they they, they talk about oh these 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 people, these suicide bombers. What what are you? And see, that's the definitions of power when you have a situation where Brother Coley is being held in prison for by their definition, quote unquote, execution style killing of a police officer with his own gun. And <laughs> Fred Hampton was obviously executed by the police in his sleep. None of the police officers ever went to prison. Yeah, after being drugged by the race trader William O'Neill. Right. After so being you know, drugged. When you have the power to create the laws then you inflict the laws upon the people that who 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 do not have the power and this is this is our situation and earlier in the podcast you mentioned what what it feels like to be free how we don't know what it feels like to be free and how our ancestors had some sense of what it felt like to be free which drove them even harder to regain that freedom Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it's 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 so true. The, at the times where I feel the most free as an African is either on the continent or around African people, and that is in a state where Africa is still colonized, but it's still a better feeling than being in the United States. Right. Um, just being around Europeans and their arrogance and their ego, uh, you know is 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 a very negative feeling so either when i'm on the continent around african people or when i'm here in the united states around african people uh is when i feel the most sense of some type of freedom mm-hmm. but yeah we haven't we haven't experienced it and this is what we have to try to to um expose our people to so that they will have motivation and the drive like our ancestors said to want to actually obtain real freedom and not something that's not some right or civil rights or something on paper that's given to us to, to make us feel more comfortable more stimulated yeah very very quick uh observation that relates to what you said brother sometimes uh you know revolution is started by one generation and completed by the next and uh you know, we just have to maintain the faith, I guess. Um, I can't remember who said it. Uh, uh, it might have been Brother Hedges. 
uh, a father Berrigan from the 70s. You know, you can get truth from any source uh, when he articulated beautifully that um, a rebel revolutionary holds fast to a vision that only he can see. And then you have to take the uh, leap of whatever you want to call it, belief, you know, that the good in what you do will draw to it the good. You know, most rebels, revolutionaries don't succeed. You know, whether you're talking about, you know, Robert Williams or Dr. King, different tactics, but that does not invalidate, you know, their work, you know, because at the very least, you know that they're not going to sell you out. But as uh, Brother Macaroo mentioned, you know, invariably you will find these uh, race traitors, these outliers that are not uh, representatives of the legitimate aims of the people who will articulate a point of view that runs contrary, you know, to those concepts of uh, being free proud and productive or realizing the concept of Kujikajalia, uh, they're just misrepresentatives of those um, independent, self-sustaining, self-sufficient ideas. And it seems to me that they're becoming more and more prevalent uh, in this day and age, the early part of the 21st century. Well, the thing of it is that, uh, you know, there's, there's a revolutionary process, right? I mean, very few people are born revolutionary. I mean, we don't, we don't know, for example, and it's quite unfortunate. Um, you know, we don't, you know, we don't have a whole lot of biographical information on Nama. Nama, in my opinion, the most important African who ever lived. But I'm sure before he took up, you know, this is just theory before he took up weapons against uh, other Africans first, he, he articulated a vision. Listen, what, what can we accomplish if we agree to unify these two lands? And then once, uh, you know, the race traders decided, no, no, we're going, we want to hold on to our little corner of Kemet. Then, you know, he said, OK, I don't have any choice but to uh, militarily uh, subdue you because I'm fighting for the greater good. So, I mean, you know, there's a process. You know, you you had uh, Francois Mackendall, for example, on the island of Haiti uh, before, you know, the, the rise of, you know, Bookman Duty and Cecile Fatimon and uh, Dessaline Christophe Lovachu and the others. So you you have a process, you have a process that that uh, that that people go through, uh, and, and this is this is all part of you know trying to see your way through uh, the mist or uh, the nebulae in 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 order to get a clear vision of where you want to go. We want to be restored to our rightful place. All right. And so that's that's a long process. Nat Turner and Denmark Visa and others, you know, and, you know, Denmark Visa had, you know, been been uh, on the island, you know, and, and, you know, on islands in the Caribbean. Um, these these brothers and sisters, they had an idea. Even 
So Nat Turner was educated, you know, primarily by his grandmother, right? About, you know, what freedom was. And then, you know, then his mother. But Nat Turner also escaped. And it's not exactly clear, but there's a lot of speculation given the proximity. Dr. Vincent Harding is one who puts forth, you know, this theory that when he escaped, he went into the liberated dismal swamp. This was an area that uh, in, uh, you know, eastern uh, uh, Virginia, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, where it has the border with North Carolina, where a Africans had escaped and had established uh, a liberated community, a self-sustaining, you know, liberated community. And the Europeans didn't dare go into the dismal swamp. They didn't dare. And so there's a, there's an idea that, you know, even though, you know, Nat used Christianity, that he that, that he saw African traditional African spirituality being practiced there. Now, once again, what, what we what we see here, same as we saw with Harry Tubman, same we saw with Dilmark Visa, who won the lottery. Nat Turner could have stayed in the dismal swamp, but he had a greater calling. He said, man, okay, I see, I see how now, now my grandmother told me what it was like. My grandmother told me. Now I see for myself. I see right here in this, in the dismal swamp, I see a liberated African community. Okay. Now granted it's still within the confines of a uh, chattel slavery America. I still within the confines of chattel slavery America. But I, I'm sure it's a place that if there was some place like that where we could go today almost, I mean we would we would we would probably feel the same way. Wow, this is this is this is what it means to be free. And so but but Nat Turner's position was okay, I could stay here, but what if I can what, what if I can go back and organize our people and liberate even more people so that even more people can experience this? See, this is this is making a sacrifice. See, this 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 is straight out of of African communalism, straight out of, you know, my art, you know, Ubuntu. I am because we are right. So. So that's why he went. That's why he gave up his freedom. It was it was all part of his strategy. He knew he was going. He knew he was going to lead a revolution. He knew he was. He knew he was willing to sacrifice his life. It was. It, there was no Eurocentric individualism. There's no ego operating here. I am. I. I. This. I. You know. I. 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 No. We. We. That's Af That's African communalism. He saw it with his own eyes in the dismal swamp. So, you know, like I said, this is a theory because we, we know for a fact that he escaped and then he returned and he stayed free for what, about 30 days or whatever. So he was somewhere. All right. So Dr. Harding in There's a River, one of the most important books anybody can read about the African experience in the United States, critically important book. Um, 
you know, speculates that that's where he was. But, 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 but once again, that's what we're talking about. He saw it with his own eyes. Other, others just heard, okay, we heard. Others heard about what happened. They heard about what, you know, Lowature and Dessaline and Christo did. They say, oh, man, African people can do this. We can do this. So, you know, that's what we have to recover. That's This, this is the Sankofa process. You know, and I have to think, brother, that is available to us. Uh, yeah, Richard King writes about it. Um, I have not looked at Richard King, not in any great detail, but we know scientifically that if matter is eternal, spirit is eternal, yeah, you, you don't have to think that it's available to us. Uh, I mean, we just discussed it. Uh, I'm not going to call it the zeitgeist. We're going to call it the car. You know, as Brother almost refers to it as, and so, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the question becomes, you know, how can we maximize um, the ability to become inculcated, you know, with that which is real, you know, but, you know, part of the problem is that, uh, you know, once again, you know, I would have to refer to it as Europeanization. Uh, and we have forgotten, you know, the knowledge of self, which is still very much available to us. You know, if we can for a moment in time, you know, separate ourselves from this uh, rigmarole and this rat race being a hamster on a hamster wheel and just yeah, develop some reflection time collectively and communally. We learn communally, you know, uh, Dr. Ture says we learn communally uh, and he gives all kinds of examples that are you know, informative, entertaining, as well as hilarious. Before we get out, I wanted to touch down on or touch bases on uh, some news on the African continent about Uganda and Rwanda accepting Afghan refugees um on uh a request by the united states they're allowing afghan refugees to come in and it's interesting that i'm pretty sure that they are doing this for some type of paycheck <laughs> but it's interesting that uh israel is mulling even considering uh accepting afghan uh, refugees in their country and wow. it's because they know you know, the risk that that goes along with agreeing to accept these refugees in, you, you raise the risk of the attention being put on your country for groups like, you know, these terrorist groups like ISIS, uh, Al-Shabaab, and, and other groups that would put that attention right on your country and possibly, you know, uh, issue some terror, terrorist attacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have, you know, Uganda and Uganda's already accepted 51 of these refugees and they're going to accept 2000 and Rwanda is, is, is also going to accept these refugees and they're saying it's temporary, but as we've seen in the past, you know, situations where terrorist attacks have happened in Uganda, mm -hmm. um, you know, many yeah. people have been killed yeah. Yeah. Uh, in Kenya and yeah, in, in Kenya. So 
you know, it, it, Israel is saying, you know, we'll, we, we'll, we'll help airlift them out, but they can't stay here. No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, they, they're trying to kill the Palestinians every day. So, you know, darn well, they ain't going to let no Afghans in. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, yeah. what are your thoughts on that, uh, Baba Makaru? I know um, one of the professors uh, at Macquarie University was saying he had some concerns over the security, some security concerns over the possibilities of uh, terrorist acts coming from this decision. Well, I, you know, I think you, I think you're right on, on on all accounts. I think number one, it is about a paycheck. These these, these paychecks never benefit the uh, masses of African people, you know, in these countries. Uh, in fact, uh, you could call it a, uh, a growth industry uh, in Uganda. Uh, they have uh, taken in about, what, 1.5 million uh, refugees from various uh, conflict zones uh, in Africa, particularly uh, Sudan and Somalia, um, the Congo. I mean, it's the, the tragedy is that you have so much conflict. Uh, you know, in uh, on the African continent, of course, all of this is by design. Um, but the, the the people who raise the security concerns, they have the examples of what has what has happened previously. OK, see, first of all, we're dealing with, uh, you know, Gullah Jack and I when when uh, Gullah Jack started a uh, cable uh, TV program, local access program called the Blacklist. This is one of the first thing we talked about mm -hmm. were the uh, was the 1998 uh, bombings of the U.S. Embassy mm -hmm. in uh, Dar es Salaam in Nairobi. Over 200 Africans were killed. You're talking about a group of people who are willing to kill. They will kill their own people. OK, so in the recent bombing at the uh, Kabul airport, about 175 Afghans were killed, uh, 13 Americans. Now, the New York Times is reporting that uh, they, they thought all of the 175 Afghans were killed by the suicide bomber. But but now it's being reported that American soldiers, when the bomb when the bomb went off, American soldiers started firing wildly into the crowd. So we don't know how many of the Afghans were killed by American soldiers. Uh, but uh, as we saw in uh, in Dar and Nairobi. These people, they care nothing. They don't. Look, they'll strap a bomb on themselves and blow themselves up. So they don't care anything about taking anybody's life. And so they they killed over 200 Africans to kill 12 Americans. So, you know, and, you know, we, we, we saw the attack on the uh, exclusive, you know, the bourgeois mall, you know, there in Nairobi. Uh, Al-Shabaab actually killed five, what was it, five American soldiers, three, three to five American soldiers. In a in in a camp, uh, in in Kenya, Kenya was, uh, was allowing uh, the, the Americans to have a, a base in the northern part of the country, and and Al Shabaab carried out an attack inside of Kenya. Uganda has also suffered at the hands of Al Shabaab, which declared its allegiance to Al Qaeda. Boko Haram, for example, declared its allegiance to the to the Islamic State. All of these foreign religions killing Africans <laughs> for the since what <laughs> Pope Nicholas, right? I mean, it's just crazy. But um, you know, I I I do think I do think because I they 
they would consider, you know, for example, you know, uh, Kampala or, you know, one of the other uh, cities in in uh, Uganda to be a soft target. I think I think uh, so. I think there are legitimate concerns. Uh, and, you know, you have massive poverty in in Uganda itself. Okay, I mean, you have a, a bourgeois elite neo-colonial pigs running the country who are, who are enriching themselves, but the masses of people, you know, you know, don't benefit, you know, from these, uh, from you know, these deals that they're making with the United States. You know, I, you know, I said this last week, and I guess I just keep saying it. You know, the 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 United States. I, I don't know how anybody in Africa in particular because of our history, but Africa, Asia, Latin America, I don't see how anybody could decide that they want to be an ally of the United States. The United States is leaving behind, you know, not only some Americans for, who for some reason, you know, didn't try to get to the airport early enough. All of these uh, Afghans who have been working with the United States government uh the u.s military and nato for 20 years are being left behind we see this repeatedly allies being left behind you know promises broken treaties right i mean you know that's why when sherman tried to make a, a treaty with 10 bears he said no more treaties <laughs> no 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 we fighting to the death we don't believe a word you're saying I don't know why other people in the world can't, you know, can't see that you can't be allies. These people don't have any permanent friends. They have people they use, you know, to, to, to achieve objectives. But what will happen is the same thing that happened in uh, Dar and Nairobi, uh, you know, and you know, you had over 200 Africans killed over 5,000 injured. Right. Come on, man. But this is this is what neocolonialism is doing to Africa. You know, I mean, this this is this is this straight up out of the out of the neocolonial playbook, right? We'll get we'll get some money that's going to enrich ourselves, and you know, most likely when the terrorists blow something up, you know, it, it won't affect us. So it's it's, uh, it's 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 quite the tragedy. But I mean, if once again, here's another example allies being left behind they they even gave the taliban the names and and passport information of the people that they that they were trying to get out and now the taliban is saying oh nobody else is leaving now so i don't know why i don't i, I what does it take to learn the lesson or is going to take the U.S. to go broke, and they once they can't cut that check anymore, then people won't. Yeah, won't well, uh, well, you know, it's like like Hedges said the other day, what happens when Russia and and China and India and Iran and some of these countries drop the dollar? That's uh -huh. that, that's the end right there. Yeah, that is, that's the end. The okay, we'll just serve a new master. Yeah. Yeah. Until they feel the threat of uh, consequence for their actions, there will be no change. Which is a form of power. 
But if we go back 70 years, uh, well, at least 50 years, you know, we can see the same indifference toward um, U.S. soldiers. Yeah. Um, and the, after the fall of Saigon, I think Hanoi indicated that they had over 1,200 American soldiers. You know, Nixon and uh, McCain and the other heads at that particular time said that the 500 uh, prisoners of war constituted the totality of prisons, prisoners that had been held by Hanoi. Hanoi had a conflicting point of view. After Hanoi realized that they could no longer use the additional 700 to uh, ransom the United States uh, for reparations, given the devastation that happened in terms of the human toll that was taken, as well as the uh, the topography in the uh, countryside that was destroyed, uh, when it was realized that uh, Uncle Sam had abandoned the own troops, well, then Hanoi didn't want to waste any time in uh, 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 catering to the needs that uh, constitute survival of those uh, POWs that had been left uh, behind. Hmm. So they executed them. Yeah, well, this is... It's 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 if if you can figure out um, U.S. foreign policy, I would like for somebody you know, one of these brothers or somebody who's out there listening to, you know, articulate it for me. You I, because you got a situation with Qatar, Turkey, and Saudi Arabia. U.S. allies have been historically known to finance ISIS. Now these are your allies that are financing who you claim to be the people that you are uh, concerned with. And, you know, the it, it, what, what we have here over the past couple of days, which I found find strange. In fact, I mentioned this on uh, African Liberation Media, the website. The Taliban has been replaced by the Taliban. Hmm. Well, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a whole lot to unpack there. I mean, uh, but you know we don't obviously don't have time to do it tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I got a response uh, from an outstanding uh, brother who has agreed to come on the program. So we we have to uh, you know get that organized. We won't make any announcements until it actually happens. But um, yeah, you know maybe next week we can spend more time because you know this is a this is a very I mean it's. There's there's a whole lot here. There's a whole lot, uh, you know, to to be dealt with. You know, going back to uh, the 1998 bombings, you know, uh, Bin Laden uh, being kicked out of Sudan in 1996, um, the deal that the Saudis had worked out with the Taliban to have Bin Laden transported to Saudi Arabia, and then Clinton Clinton, uh, you know fired 70 uh, cruise missiles on Afghanistan and the Taliban said the deal was off. So, I mean, it, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff there. I mean, it, that, uh, that we need to deal with the way the Africans who were uh, victims of the terrorist attacks in Nairobi and Dar were left out of the uh, reparations that they forced Sudan to pay. <laughs> it's, just, it's just a lot of stuff. So, uh, you know, maybe next week we'll deal with it, you know, unless our, our guest is, is on. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot there. 
This has been another edition of the African Liberation Media Podcast. You can visit our website, africanliberationmedia.com to get the latest updates on our uh, podcast. And you can also check out our social media pages for the latest news and information as it relates to African people. Until next week, uh, BB for ODA. BB for ODA. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately, those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world. 